Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. When you're ugly and someone loves you, you know they love you for who you are. Beautiful people never know who to trust. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, white people love to be named Fiery Cushman, don't they? <laughs> Man, uh, so you're referring, I'm David Pizarro from Cornell University. Um, you're referring to this tweet that, was it just a rando? Just it just put, seemed like a drive-by. Like, like just yeah. no real like rhyme or it, reason to it. Yeah, somebody tweeted a like a screenshot of Fiery's like bio from Harvard, <laughs> and just said white people love to be named Fiery Cushman. I got to admit, I felt like a little like it went viral, and I felt a little like uh, I'm part of something big here. I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's very funny but also there's like like it, i think it was like a chapo adjacent guy who, yeah who tweeted that. it and i don't know to what extent it was meant in a mean way or you know like yeah, what a fucking douche way but like with fiery of all people like he is not an asshole no not at all <laughs> i didn't i took it as just like a you know when you first heard the name fiery the name is funny, so uh, so I I just took it as like a like a good-hearted way of like mocking weird names. Um, I like that, but it's white people love. It's white people, yeah. That's <laughs> very funny. It's a tweet from somebody named Pre Gabalin fan account. <laughs> I wonder what Fiery thought of it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Former friend of the show. He's a former. I'm sure he was a good sport about it. Uh, you can't you can't live your life with the name Fiery and not develop a decent sense of humor about it. Um, yeah, I think that's probably right. <laughs> so we're in the first segment. We're gonna narrow down our uh, finalist topics for the Patreon listener selected episode. We've got a like over a hundred, like 150 suggestions to that we have narrowed down to a kind of long short list, each of us, yeah. and we're going to try to agree on five or six finalists. Then in the second segment, we're going to tackle a topic, lookism, yeah. which is bias towards attractive people over unattractive people. We're going to look at two things, an article by William D'Alessandro, called it's forthcoming is it bad to prefer attractive partners and then we're also going to talk about a story another story by ted chang called liking what you see a documentary which is 
where this idea is a central theme of it. And actually, one of the people suggested this story right. in the Patreon. So they already win. They win. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even need to listen to that segment. Um, uh, I just want to give you props for the pairing. It's like you. It's like a you know a, a fish and a nice white wine. You found these two things that like. <laughs> You know, it's sort of like the uh, the idea of like the hot side hot, cool side cool. You know, the McDonald's. Oh, keep the hot. <laughs> oh my God, a McDLT commercial. <laughs> McDLT, <laughs> like from 1989. <laughs> McDLT. Are you coming with these these hot cultural references? <laughs> yeah. <that's... laughs> we probably have some Gen X listeners. Some... Like that was a very important thing that happened in that. As as latchkey kids, when we would get home and turn on the TV. <laughs> Remember when latchkey kids were a thing? Like yeah. they used to do news stories about it. <laughs> I mean, I was a latchkey kid at one of my houses, not at the other one. Like, I mean, I don't mean like my family had two houses. I was the child, was <laughs> the child summer, of divorce. <laughs> you weren't in your summer house wasn't yeah. latchkey. <laughs> All right, but before that. Yeah, let's get let's get to it. Let's get, so, what a turnout, man! You mentioned it, but Jesus, yeah, ton of good stuff. Do are we going to agree? Like, this is always an interesting question, like whether we're going to agree. Um, it's even like, even more so this time with like a hundred and whatever fifty suggestions. Like, what are the chances that we have any overlap in our lists? Because I'm going to guess like we have at least four. Overlaps. Four, okay. Yeah, that's a good guess. We have roughly twelve on on each list. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> All right. You want me to start? Go for it. The Act of Killing, the documentary. It's the one. It's my <laughs> first one, too. <laughs> yeah. Jake uh, Zilsdorf suggested this. You know, I saw that documentary. I remember being very disturbed, uh, you know, upset, moved by it. And I would like to do an episode on it. I mean, I think that could be a good finalist because I think we've had a lot of people asking us to do it in one context yeah. or another over the years. So, um. yeah. Um, I've never seen it, but it may or may not be related, but the the book on killing that we've talked about a few times um, might be good to pair with uh, with something like this. Yeah. Not, not that I'm adding homework. To, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think like it's enough for this and we can, you know, and refer probably back to enough. some I yeah. ideas from that. Yeah. Especially since that guy is the guy who wrote that now goes around training cops to be like warriors and to think they're going into like, <laughs> yeah. like a like they're like a military occupied like war right. zone He's every like time they single handedly responsible for like yeah. the chokings of black men across the <laughs> Yeah. Just well, total psychopath. But yeah, you can separate the art from the artist. I can separate the art from the artist. Yeah. <laughs> um okay, mine that well that was on my list. Uh my next one is and I I hesitate even saying this because it, it's a large homework task but this is both david coat and ben morrison suggested julian james's on the or the origin of consciousness and the breakdown of the bicameral mind something oh, we've yeah. touched on um I, I think we split brains maybe or maybe maybe when we were discussing no Nagel. I've, I've mentioned it when we discussed westworld but you haven't seen westworld so it must have only been in passing yeah but, yeah it's uh you know the you know what it is right yes more or less but tell the listeners yeah yeah basically it is a cool and kooky theory done uh written years and years ago by Julian Jaynes that posits that human consciousness arose in part 
from like the taking of psychedelics, but, but essentially the ability to separate inner voices um, and recognize that inner voices weren't external voices, like voices of gods or spirits, and recognize that it was our own inner voice he thought mm-hmm. was fundamental to the origin of consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's super interesting. I don't, you know. Um, that's definitely a, a strong candidate. Uh, on that topic, then, I'll also suggest... And 500 was, pages, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, so we have to do a little chunk of that. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe this is shorter. Douglas Hofstadler's Strange Loop. Yeah, that's on my list, too. That is, yeah, yeah. I figured it would be. Uh, yeah, in fact, I have a note here that says, hold on, uh, you're not giving credit to the readers, but... Uh, not for this, just because there were two people. <laughs> so yes. then they canceled each other out. Andrew Bow and Matt Rogers. And I, my note to myself is not sure if Tamler would be down, but I like the idea. I don't know why people think I don't like <clears throat> Douglas Hofstad. Like I, like that, that, I think that, it's because you mocked me for liking, uh, for, for pretentiously claiming that I read. Uh, I read Gerdel Escherbach. Yeah, you oh, mocked no. me for saying I read it when I was like in fourth grade. Oh, that's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is Which to be clear was like the intro stories of Achilles and the Tortoise that are Sure, sure. <laughs> All right. So maybe that would be a shorter version of doing something unconsciousness. Yeah. But I actually, you know, like if we could find a sh- like if if listeners have an idea of a short version of the breakdown of the bicameral moment. Oh yeah. Anything in article form. And the strange loops too, I, I briefly peruse because strange loop is, is a book. Um, but anything in article form that could be suggested for either of those. All right. What do you have next? All right. You, the only reason you wouldn't have this on your list is because it's a given that we're going to do it. But Brandon Sanchez suggested waiting for Godot. Oh, interesting. I'm so glad you put it on. I mean, I didn't put it on because I didn't think you would do it. I've not seen it or read it. And so, um, I'm curious. And it's like existentially sounding. And I've seen so many things that feel like references to it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, I would definitely do that. I don't know if we should put it on the list. But one thing that I I kind of feel about it is that it's really sh- better seen than read. Yeah. Um, but and then you have to pick a version of it. Yeah. And, I, and there aren't like that I know of. Maybe like we'll scan YouTube for a good like theatrical presentation, which still isn't like being there, but it's also different than than reading. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's uh, let's keep that in mind. I don't know if it makes the list, but um, but I would love to do waiting. Oh, absolutely. OK, so there are some things. OK, Rowan Anderson, Hume on the Standard of Taste. I had this too, but it's like we yeah. were already talking about doing this. We were already talking about doing it. So very I feel episode. like it's, yeah. it's cheatery to, yeah. to put it on the list. So so for my turn, I'll mention that and mention something that we probably most definitely wouldn't do. But many people keep keep uh, suggesting it, and that is the video game Disco Elysium. It's true that many people keep suggesting yeah. it. So Jake uh, Zielsdorf this time mentioned it. And I kind of just, if I have time to play a video game, so so I don't think we should put it on, on the list list. I would, because like, I, yeah. I don't think we're going to do it otherwise. Like, okay. So like if enough people want us to do it, then I then I would do it. Okay. It's like the Ted cool. Chiang thing, you know, like yeah. I need external uh, motivation. Right. Right. All right. And I, and I also, I think this came up in the context <laughs> of the Ted Chiang episode, but somebody said that it wasn't that hard. Like it, it's not a kind of game <laughs> where like right. I was like I'm such a fuck up in video games that I wasn't right. going to be able to like uh, proceed with it. So I this is from Aaron Agostini, 
And he suggested, and I, and maybe this came up in another one too, but I only put Aaron Agostini because he was first, uh, Stanislaw Lem, and he recommended one of his, and I think the other person recommended Solaris. People have recommended mm-hmm. Solaris. I'd love to do that and the Tarkovsky movie, or just the book. People have said the book is is great, it's and good. I love the movie. Yeah. The movie is phenomenal as well. But um, The one with George Clooney? <laughs> no, not that one. That's the Soderbergh <laughs> version, but which I haven't seen, but I've heard is okay. I don't know if that's true or not. But uh, yes, I was. I I think that would be cool. It may have been a finalist already. It does sounds it, familiar. Does it ring? Does yeah, it? it does. I don't know if it was finalist, but it was definitely on people's lists. So, yeah. but that's fine. Um, okay, my turn. I won't say Parfit because you've already promised to do Parfit. If you do um, Stalker. If I do stalker, that's right. But I did, I said. Alistair Hardin, maybe an episode about intuition and epistemology. This is actually something I know a lot about. Like, um, I know a lot of the literature. There's a lot of good stuff. You know, there's a lot of interesting questions about to what extent our intuitions are reliable guides. Um, you know, even separate from any experimental philosophy kind of debates. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. That might be one. I don't know if it's going to make the list, but I, th- I threw it, it on. I didn't. I didn't put it on my list because it seemed like such a big, you know, like topic. And and I don't know that much about epistemology. Um, but epistemology is something that I actually want to read more on. And yeah. so if we could find, it, I would totally put it on my list just because it's a philosophy topic that you agree. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> I always get excited when you're willing to talk about philosophy. <laughs> and, and yeah, and I, like I said, I, I know some good stuff on this. All right, we'll keep this in the back burner. Maybe if we don't put it on the list, we'll definitely use it. Like we, yeah. we always, always need ideas. Yeah, it's always easier to put something on the list when it is a specific work yeah. rather, rather than a topic. But here's another one: panpsychism. Just like I knew that would be on yours. Yeah, I'm, I just yeah. it's I'm curious to what extent. Like this is, and, and, you know, we have, we could pick something by Galen Strawson. Um, I actually like that because, uh, I don't know anything about panpsychism and I actually think it would be fun to see what our listeners, if like our listeners would really want to hear us talk about that. I'd kind of let them decide. All right. Let's take Um, that seriously as a finalist. Um, all right. I feel like this is running long, but I'll just say this quickly. I don't think this is on your list. This is from Joseph Chiaranizelli. Art and philosophy around addiction. Maybe double feature the short story The Swimmer by John Cheever and the Burt Lancaster film based on it. Now, I love both of those, and they're really interesting. As an example of addiction, you know, all of Cheever's characters are pretty much <laughs> alcoholics, but uh, I, I, I would just love to do, I, and people have suggested them to, uh, too, but those that short story and and the book they're both really cool works about a uh, kind of alienation from uh, suburban professional life that I think a lot of people can relate to. Even though you know it's very much of its time, but it's also timeless. I've never heard of the film or the short story, but he also mentions leaving Las Vegas, which I haven't seen in a long time, but it's like. I really like that movie for some odd reason. Um, uh, but addiction is, it didn't make my list, but I'm totally interested in it. So, so let's put it maybe toward the bottom and see what we have. Okay. Okay. I think I'm getting to the bottom too. Um, 
Emily, friend of the show, Emily, uh, said something about Sandman, the comic. If I can get, if I think if I can convince you to read a comic volume, it might be Sandman. It's it, it's part of the the wonder of Sandman is the scope of it across like ten volumes. So I'd have to pick well. Yeah. Um, but as you can see, the big thing behind me, I have a huge blown up panel from the Sandman comic. That's the character of Death. I was on a road trip. I listened to um, like an audio version of the Sandman. Uh, oh, you did? So yeah, it was like it was like the first I don't know three or four volumes of it. It was like a acted out version, but it was very much yeah. one that he Neil Postman is that the Neil Gaiman Neil yeah. Gaiman. Sorry, it was good, oh. but I I, st- I I stumbled and stopped listening at the Cain and Abel story because oh. <laughs> the guy the Abel was such just like a pathetic character just a simpering that I I couldn't stomach it if you uh, enjoyed any of the first part maybe reading Sandman Volume 1 would be fun there is that's very cool Sandman Volume 1 seemed very cool yeah. yeah, like, and, and I, you know, I'm sure you're really missing something without having the visuals, but the story yeah. of them in the diner, it is one of, it is one of the most fucked up things I have ever read. And I think you might enjoy it. All right. <laughs> let's do it then. Let's, right. or let's, cool. let's definitely think about it. I've been wanting to get it. I've almost ordered it a few times. So oh, yeah. yeah, I'll, I'll order it for you if you want. Um, that's how much I love it. Okay. Do you have any more? Yeah. Uh, Herman Hesse's Siddhartha. I mean, obviously, I'm going to put that on. This is yes. from Alex Legat. Um, it is short. It's very easy read. I would also do Steppenwolf, which is... An, Siddhartha is very much kind of a Buddhist story, whereas Steppenwolf has that angst, existential, just uh, anguish. What is, sorry, what is uh, Herman Hesse's Siddhartha? Is it a story? Is it it's a, a story book? of Siddhartha that, that's kind of loosely based on the on Siddhartha, the Buddha, the Buddha yeah. Um, but a book but or, a, or a short story? It's a it's a novel, very short novel, more of a novella. Hmm. Okay, I'm surprised that th- this is Neil Postman. This is why I, I got that confused. Oh, okay. But the the book "Amusing Ourselves to Death" by Neil Postman, deep the the this is from Paul. Deep media literacy. It takes Martian McLuhan's phrase, the medium is the message, and demonstrates how the medium of broadcast television transformed human society by changing such things as who is electable as president. think that that would be really interesting. I've heard other good things about this book. Um, Like, I'm I'm (coughs) interested. What? What do you want? You want to go out? But you're just going to come back in with the fire. Yeah, I'm really interested in the whole idea of the medium is the message and Marshall McLuhan in general. And if this is something that can help us talk about that stuff, I'd be into it. Yeah, I'll admit the the post was so long that I barely read it. My <laughs> um, Paul. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. Um, but that sounds actually very interesting uh, to me as well. All right, last one uh, from Edgar. I mean, obviously, I'm going to do this, too. I'd love to hear you discuss this paper, The Common Consent Argument for the Existence of Nature Spirits by Titty Smith, published in the Australasian Journal of Philosophy. He, he, he takes a common argument for the existence of God, which he doesn't think works, but he does think works if you're trying to uh, establish at least the reasonableness of, of believing in spirits like 
animal spirits, mountain Sounds spirits. Sounds like you've read this. Forest spirits. I did look at the article. It seemed <laughs> Titty. really cool. His name is Titty. Titty, Titty Smith. <laughs> That's like boy named Sue. You're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna have to learn to fight if you, unless it's a, it could. Yeah. Well, either way, if you're a woman or a man, you're, yes, <laughs> you should probably take some like martial arts courses. Um, I'll look at it. You should look at it. You wanted to do yeah. epistemology, right? Like this is hardcore epistemology. Yeah, like real epistemology. Yeah. This is real. I mean, Australasian <laughs> Journal of Philosophy, like. <laughs> like people like you worship uh, journals like that. <laughs> I didn't know there was things that I worshipped that I didn't know existed. But <laughs> <laughs> there's another argument that that's a possible too. <laughs> All right. All right. So, so that's it. Those are our. A, oh wait, no, we have to decide. No, no we have to decide. <laughs> <laughs> I think this has gone on so long. We must be done. Right. <laughs> um, okay. So what I have on the list of things that we seemed to agree on was the act of killing. Yeah. Strange loops, disco Elysium, intuition and epistemology. And then. So I, my, my interpretation of what we agreed on was a little different. I act of killing for sure. Strange loops. Yes. Panpsychism I thought was more of a, um, uh, yes. Yes, you're right. But the other ones that we discussed were the amorality, Siddhartha, Sandman, deep media literacy, and the common yeah. consent argument for the existence of fairies and uh, <laughs> whatnot. <laughs> the dogmatism is so strong. Okay, so so let's say that there are four for sure, act of killing, strange loops of Scholesium, panpsychism, of the others, should we just make it five? We we usually do, right? Yeah, I feel like I want to have a a fun one, uh, like a, or or two. We we do five or six. Um, I'm I'm a, I'm willing to put your uh, ghost article if that's what you mean by fun. If like ghost, things like video games article. aren't fun, <laughs> but <laughs> but Australasian philosophy epistemology uh, is fun. <laughs> then, uh, then I'm willing to put that. Well, I don't know. I'm not wedded to that, but the, the, it, the swimmer is another one uh, that we talked about, but you don't know oh, anything yeah. about it. So I let's don't, just... I don't. In fact, I should say... W- but the Sandman, that would be a fun one. Yeah. Uh, Sandman volume... Let's put Sandman volume one and the common consent argument. Okay. That way. So active killing, strange loops, discolysium, panpsychism, Sandman, common consent argument. All right, this is a different list than our other ones because, like, I feel really like is. our other ones had they were more big topics in psychology or philosophy, and yeah, yeah, yeah. We tackled all of the all of the tough questions. Yeah. <laughs> we're done with we're them. We're done. We finished philosophy, <laughs> psychology. Now we're talking about video games and comic books and ghosts. I think people are finally accepting that we we enjoy. The realm of aesthetics, maybe more than, <laughs> than they thought we did. Thank God. There's so many things that worked out with this partnership, but like yeah, that, that's true. That, that, like we both kind of like trended in that direction, like at the same time, is pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. Right. Pro- probably as a, as a result of the interactions, yeah, too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Strange loop. Strange loop. <laughs> I mean, we did like intelligence. IQ and race, mm-hmm. like we were, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> yeah, you can't fuck with that. 
Yeah. Well, another one we're gonna we're gonna tackle is it is it wrong to like hot people? <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by one of our favorite sponsors, GiveWell. When you give to charity, how much impact will your donation actually have? This question can be hard, if not impossible, to know. Most charities can't tell you how your money will be used or what good it will accomplish. You may know it will theoretically help a cause, but how, or more importantly, how much? If you want to help people living in poverty with evidence-backed, high-impact charities, check out GiveWell. GiveWell spends over 20,000 hours each year researching charitable organizations and only recommends a few of the highest impact evidence-backed charities they found. So here are some examples of what your donations can achieve. Bed nets to prevent malaria, preventative medication for malaria, vitamin A supplements, or the one that I've chosen over the years, which gives direct cash transfers to people in extreme poverty to use as they like. And many of the participants in this program make investments in business and agricultural assets, housing, and education. Over 50,000 donors have used GiveWell to donate more than $750 million. Rigorous evidence suggests that these donations will save tens of thousands of lives and improve the lives of millions more. And we say this every time, but our listeners have been especially generous with GiveWell over these last few years, donating at this point well over $250,000 to these charities to reduce the amount of suffering in the world. And here's the best part. GiveWell is free. GiveWell wants to empower as many donors as possible to make informed decisions about their donations. They publish all of their research and recommendations on their site for free. No sign-up required. And they allocate your tax-deductible donation to the charity you choose without taking a cut. And if you've never donated to GiveWell's recommended charities before... You can have your donation matched up to $250 as long as matching funds last. So to claim your match, go to GiveWell.org and pick podcast and enter Very Bad Wizards at checkout. Make sure they know you heard about GiveWell from Very Bad Wizards to get your donations matched. Once again, go to GiveWell.org and pick podcast and enter Very Bad Wizards at checkout. Thank you to GiveWell for sponsoring this episode. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the time of the podcast where we love to just 
thank everybody who gets in touch with us in all the different ways you do, whether it's email or following us on Instagram or our subreddit, tweeting at us. We read all of our emails. We've, as usual, gotten a bunch of really nice ones lately that feed our souls. If you want to email us, you can email us at verybadwizards at gmail.com. If you want to tweet to us, it's uh, at peas for David, at Tamler for me, or at Very Bad Wizards. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, join the subreddit slash r slash Very Bad Wizards. Um, rate us on Apple Podcasts. That's a big thing. Give us a five star review. I, I, I listen to those other podcasts where they say you can say whatever mean shit you want as long as you give us five stars. <laughs> Because that's what helps um, spread spread the good word. If you yeah. if you think there's anything worthwhile in what we put out, then giving us a five star review will help. Um, and subscribe to us on Spotify so that we can be like Joe Rogan, <laughs> like multi multi millionaires, just for asking questions. You know, like whatever. Just, <laughs> just asking. Just want all the facts. So. If Spotify offered us a million dollars, would you just move there and just be like, yeah? I would, I would be like injecting ivermectin into my ass. <laughs> it wasn't a fair question, but you know, I do have dreams of of uh, being able to. So I'll segue here. If you want to support us in more tangible ways, support our dream of one day being to uh, re- resign in uh, with on the moral high ground. <laughs> write a National Post article. Yeah, explaining explain, our decision. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and without saying we're making enough money that we don't, we no longer need to cover like health insurance and shit, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if you do want to support us more tangible ways, um, if you support us at one dollar, what you will get is uh, ad-free episodes, and you'll get all my beats um, in collections. At two dollars and up, you'll get all of our bonus segments. Um, recently, did one with Paul Bloom that was very fun on an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. So you have access to all that sweet, sweet back catalog of, of bonus segments. And we'll release also the uh, Ask Us Anything in audio oh, yeah. form, right? That's right. Um, in we, yeah. about a week or something like that. Yeah, that's right. Um, at $5 and up, you get to vote on the episode topics like the ones we discussed in the intro segment. Um, you will also get access to our five-part series on the Brothers Karamazov uh, that we're very proud of. You will also get access to Tamler's popular lectures on Plato's Symposium that you just posted the just final po- one? Yeah. Well, there's only yeah. two because I only yeah. did two lectures on it. Um, there were a couple lectures in between my first one and my last one. But yeah, it was on the last part of the symposium. I posted that today. Great. And my intro psych lecture series, it's just my class from the COVID year. Um, and finally, at $10 and up, you get to be one of those few lucky people that can watch over an hour of us on Zoom talking to each other in the Ask Us Anything segments that we also release as MP3s, where you get to submit questions. And so far, we've been able to answer every single question that, yeah. that comes up. So there are few that, enough of them uh, yeah. <laughs> at that, in, in that tier that we've been able to answer every one of them. And actually, you know, we've always enjoyed it. Yeah. So. And, and like Tamler said, we're going to start uh, doing a delayed release for people at the lower tiers of the MP3s. 
And if you can't support us on Patreon or prefer PayPal, you can always give us a one-time or recurring donation there. You can buy some of our swag, t-shirts, hoodies, mugs. You'll find all that on our Very Bad Wizards support page. So thank you very much for all uh, the support you give us. We really, really appreciate it. All right. So we are looking at two things today. Um, the first is, as I mentioned in the opening, a forthcoming article by William D'Alessandro called, Is It Bad to Prefer Attractive Partners? And D'Alessandro argues that it is, in fact, bad. It's unfair, it is harmful to prefer attractive partners over less attractive ones. And one of the many questions I had about this article is, okay, let's just say, for the sake of argument, that he's right. Now what? Like, what do we do? Uh, he addresses that question a little bit, but we get a really fleshed out answer to that question in the second piece that we're looking at, which is a short story by Ted Chang called Liking What You See, a Documentary. So um, this is another very good Ted Chang story that is told in the form of a transcript, like a transcript of a documentary on a new technology that induces caliagnosa, or cali for short, which is an inability to appreciate the beauty or attractiveness of others. Uh, so it's this, I guess, kind of neurotechnology that makes you unable to distinguish whether somebody is really good looking and in the kind of classical way that people uh, tend to appreciate beauty or or not. And the documentary, you know, the, the script for the documentary focuses on a student-led campaign at a college called Pemberton University that would require all students to adopt Caliagnosa while they're enrolled at the university. And because it's a documentary, you just get a lot of different perspectives from students, faculty, scientists, and others. But the main character is a freshman named Tamara Lyons, who grew up with Callie because her parents made her get it. And she went to a school, uh, high school and middle school, I guess, where everybody had it. Um, and then when she turned 18 and became an adult, she switched it off and was able to distinguish people according to their looks, uh, be able to evaluate how good-looking a person was for the first time in her life. And then she gets to college, and they're thinking about instituting this new rule. She begins the story as an ardent opponent of the campaign, but grows more ambivalent, I would say, as the story goes on. All right, Dave. On the one hand, you're a good-looking guy, and you enjoy a pretty face. But on the other hand, this idea that people might be judged only by the shining jewel of their pure will, that must, <laughs> that must kindle some Kantian fires that burn inside of you. So where do you stand on Cali? <laughs> you know, credit to Ted Chang. Uh, well, thank you for calling me a good-looking guy, but I, I never thought you noticed. Ted Chang takes you on a journey. And, you know, I, I actually read the D'Alessandro article first and then the Ted Chang short story. And um, I have to say, I, I vacillated at least, I flipped at least twice in reading the story um, as to whether it would be a good thing to not be able to evaluate the aesthetic appearance of someone's face. And um, I think that Equality-making 
strategies like this one, assuming this is safe and in the story it's safe and reversible, uh, aren't a bad thing. It's just that there's no end to the amount of damage you could do to a human brain to try to equal the playing field. And I think I ended with maybe a monstrous view, which is that beauty is something I don't want to give up, even if it's not my own. Like, I just want a world in which I can appreciate beauty in other people. Maybe that's selfish. <laughs> monstrous is strong. It's yeah, monstrous. But... <laughs> I'm an animal. I'm an animal. I might as well. It's just evil. <laughs> it's eugenics. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, that, uh, that I think it would be a good thing to not judge people on the basis of their appearance and that we should strive to, to do that. But also that like you're losing something that I, I like. Uh, that's something about yeah. the aesthetic domain. And there's a hint there in the end, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. There's a hint there at the end that says <clears throat> a suggestion that perhaps uh, in turning off these neural circuits that are responsible for uh, the aesthetic evaluation of a human face, that it might influence our aesthetic appreciation of other things. And that scared me enough. It's yeah. Like, yeah. To at least rationalize your uh, monstrous <laughs> objection to this technology. I well, mean, but think, think about the upside. You wouldn't have to like search for porn. You would just land whatever you land on. That's <laughs> the, <fine>. so <laughs> I had two just like setting aside the philosophical and ethical issues, two things that just make it off the table for me, which is porn would be was the first. I, I just don't like how are you going to how does that work? Like I wish well, you would have just appreciated it all. Is that true or would you appreciate none of it? Like he doesn't really talk about ah, the sexual right. aspect yeah. of it. Right, right, right. So I guess, you know, to be fair to the story, it's it, the, all of the other aspects of attraction are intact. And so presumably um, the even being attracted to, the, to somebody's body, this is something that D'Alessandro gets into more than Chang. Yeah. Um, even that pheromones and, uh, and attraction to the way that they move or talk or assume the way that their body is shaped still is intact. And, and, you, and whatever fetishes you have would survive. Um, so like if you really liked feet, you would just search for foot porn and you just wouldn't care about their face. I guess. I hope. I don't know. Like, I don't know if you mess up your brain circuitry that appreciates beauty or hotness or attractiveness. How is that not going to affect? I guess you could just stipulate that it's just not going to affect how much you get aroused. Um, yeah. You just get aroused by anybody. Is that? Let me, let me read the, um, in the Chang story. There is, this is structured, as you said, like a set of interviews as if it were a documentary, but we're reading the transcript. He says, the condition is what we call an associative agnosia rather than a, an apperceptive one. That means it doesn't interfere with one's visual perception, only with the ability to recognize what one sees. A caliagnosic perceives faces perfectly well. He or she can tell the difference between a pointed chin and a receding one, a straight nose and a crooked one, clear skin and blemished skin. He or she simply doesn't experience any aesthetic reaction to those differences. Caliagnosia is possible because of the existence of certain neural pathways in the brain. All animals have criteria for evaluating the reproductive potential of prospective mates, and they've evolved neural circuitry to recognize these criteria. Human social interaction is centered around our faces, so our circuitry is mostly finely attuned to how a person's reproductive potential is manifested in his or her face. You experience the operation of that circuitry as the feeling that a person is beautiful or ugly, 
or somewhere in between. By blocking the neural pathways dedicated to evaluating these features, those features, we can induce caliagnosia. So stipulating it is just about the face. It's just that the face is so central. But then, so this is part of my problem with this whole idea is then it just seems like you're just going to appreciate hot bodies. Like if you Maybe, can't, the, yeah. if you can't. So I think for the technology to really work and and do what it's pretending to do, it would also have to be uh, affecting your appreciation of bodies, or else all it does is I don't know. This leads to a larger issue that I have with this whole idea, which is you know, it does it really eliminate unfairness or just reshuffle it so that now like different people are getting uh, right. favored or, or have bias. But right. um, but 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 the porn thing is interesting because the the idea is if you are not able to appreciate both bodies and faces in a way that would allow you to distinguish, then like, are you going to just get turned on by by anything except your weird fetishes? I don't know. Well, um, the plot that the plots would start to matter more. You know, like the personality of the <laughs> of the characters having sex. We'll be going back to like seventies kind of uh, <laughs> boogie night style porn. Uh, yeah, yeah. When people actually cared about the production, you know. Yeah, it, I, it would all be on film again. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Beautiful, beautiful porn. The second problem, like the the issue, that, uh, is related to what you said about the, there was some worry that maybe you wouldn't be able to appreciate symmetry in art. Um, yeah. Because you can't appreciate it in faces, and maybe that would affect like how you watch Stanley Kubrick movies. And like, if that's the case, then fuck if, this. If ever there were a symmetrical director, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> him and Wes Anderson, you, your appreciation of Kubrick and Anderson would just go down the drain. Oh. And my, I, you know, I, I'd give up Wes Anderson, <laughs> yeah, like right now for like twenty bucks, but I, like not Stanley Kubrick. I much more prefer video essays about Wes Anderson films than the films themselves. Yeah, um, I, prefer, <laughs> I can, I can live without either. Without, right? <laughs> not that I don't respect him, it's just not for me. You know? Right, right. But you know, Chang acknowledges this. Uh, I think as a as a more sophisticated view of the brain, that even if there are specialized functions. Um, localized, specialized functioning, it doesn't mean that that doesn't play a, a role in another domain that's not, that it wasn't designed for. And so he mentions sort of uh, cars. Is it him that mentions cars? Or yeah, I think yeah. he does. I think people... Yeah, because cars have like a face look to them when you're, when they're... Again, like Wes Anderson, something I could live without. <laughs> but, yeah. but this is the problem, you know, like technology-wise is... I, I I know you know Ted Chang takes very seriously like trying to make these things as realistic as possible, but it it strikes me as hard to believe that there wouldn't be more collateral damage than just yeah. these little kind of uh, caveats or worries. He does. I love the the description of it. <clears throat> he he says basically you put a helmet on that targets these circuits and it turns them off, and um, there's nothing that can really do that permanently. But there is uh, transcranial magnetic uh, stimulation, which can temporarily turn off um, parts of your brain. And so I think he's building off of that possibility. And uh, so you just put a helmet on, turn off that little area of your brain, and you can choose to turn it back on. So there's even a suggestion of like temporarily turning it off. So here's a question for you. If you were interviewing, say... I don't know, you know, PhD students um, that you were going to take. Um, and you knew that what they look like 
does not like and ought not play a role uh, in, in in your evaluation of them. Would you switch it on so as to not be affected by their good looks? Again, I'd have to know more about what other stuff it was affecting, but uh, at least according to how the technology is described, you know, I guess, but I also, um, and this is something that a lot of people say in the story, and obviously we can be self-deceived about this to a large degree, but like, I don't think when it comes to like, say, have taking somebody for a job or something like that, I don't feel like I'm that influenced by it. And I have a just general kind of don't want to fuck with my brain unless it's alcohol or drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or the occasional psychedelic. Yeah. None of this but, technology. But I don't know. Like, I, I think that's sort of interesting is the idea that it's just like glasses that you can put on. Right. I think we do. People are trying to do that in all sorts of different ways. Last time we interviewed, we had a script that we had to stick to for one of the interviews, you know? So let, let's just talk about this more generally and then we can talk about the story and the article in more detail. But like, I think there's two different kinds of objections to this idea. The first is that all this is doing is taking one thing out of the equation. And so now all these other things are going to matter more than they did before, which are equally unfair. Like whether like a person's race, maybe, or a person's uh, wealth, how, how rich they are, or whether they're like a really good athlete or whether they're really funny. We talked about that, I think, last episode that yeah. like, you know, that's not something you, that's, that's something you have about as much control over, I would think of as your looks. Um, or, you know, talented, like those, those kids that can like come out of the womb and already draw practically, like they are already right. like really talented artists. Um, so there's all these other ways in which we're, we're just inevitably going to favor people for things that are out of their control. So just turning one of them off doesn't, I, I don't think it makes it more fair. It just kind of makes it different people that are getting bias in their favor for things that they don't control or deserve. Like, you know, this so is where the moral luck stuff is real, you know? So there's there's a couple of versions of what you might be saying. Um, earlier you were saying something that I found interesting, which is that if we just stick to the domain of aesthetic evaluation or, say, sexual attraction, what might go on is that... Um, all of your sexual energy, all of the part of you that is dedicated to finding somebody who is attractive, like that we're hardwired to find, you know, in partners, something that we find attractive, especially physically attractive, that all that energy would simply move, say, to like the body or to the hair or whatever, hip to waist ratio, you name it. And that what would happen is not an equality, but like rather just a, like the, like in a sort of hydraulic model that has to go somewhere. And I guess that's one possibility, but it could also be that that is just, that it does just go away. And so you're still left with like, say, five out of six physical characteristics that, that you judge people on, but you're taking one of them away. And so what's, so long as it's safe, you're just making it more fair. Like, I don't, like, does that make it more fair though? Because people are still being favored for things that aren't in their control or disfavored right, but let's for say things like that aren't in their control. It's just now it's different 
people. Or, Whereas before, the person with the really beautiful face is getting uh, favored. Now the person with the really hot body or the people or the person who's like, uh, you know, right? Um, or but 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 or importantly, it could that's that's still sort of following this view that it has to go some like somewhere. Right. It could be that what happens is you are uh, whatever the things that you think are morally appropriate to evaluate people on just become louder. Right. So that's the idea. But like this reminded me a little bit of the debate over canceling like SAT requirements at universities or GRE requirements. That's something we could talk about. Yeah, we definitely could. But in this context, the reason it reminded me is because, you know, the idea is that if black people say do worse on their SATs, then for various cultural reasons, then eliminating that requirement will make things more fair. But then it's just like more attention gets paid to these other things like teacher evaluations or your grades or all these other things. Or recommendation letters. That's my big concern. Yeah, recommendation recommendation letters. letters. Yeah. So, so, and, and, and of course that's also going to affect uh, negatively the people who are uh, poor or, or black or whatever, you know, like just because this, these are deep social problems if you just treat one symptom, you're not necessarily make, making society healthier by just kind of isolating one treatment and only doing that. Because all, especially if that's just going to make the other symptoms like flare up more. And and yeah. and to be clear, I don't think like I think that the the body thing is a red herring. Like I think for this to be an interesting idea or thought experiment, it has to be that it's not just the face. Um, it turns a little bit on the, this view that that face processing is super central to human uh, social interaction, which is true, but it's obviously not everything. Right. Um, right. It might very well be that in the absence of face information, you don't shift all your attention to the body. You actually start listening to what people are saying. Okay. So then let's stipulate that that's how it is. Right. And you're yeah. just less concerned with people's looks in general. There's still going to be all these other ways that people are being uh, favored or disfavored. And you're right. Some of them are we have decided whether on good grounds or not, we have decided this is a good thing. This is a fair thing to judge somebody by, whereas yeah. looks aren't. But Which when we get to the D'Alessandro article, I really want to save some of that for the specific claim that D'Alessandro is making, which is a more specific one than – not that Ted Chang is making a claim, but it is – Specific to partner preference, which, yeah. So this, but this is one kind, like, genre of objection to this is, you know, ultimately, we're no more in or less in control of our looks than we are big aspects of our personality. And we have just decided, or some people have decided, that one of these things is a fair thing to uh, judge a person on, like, whether they're funny, nice, or generous, or... We have decided that's okay, like, but there's going to be all these other things that end up mattering that are, and this takes me back to my sort of free will responsibility skepticism days, but like that ultimately are also just luck, just as how you look is luck. So is this really making us more equal or is it just, okay, it used to be that you people were unfairly preferenced and now this group of people is going to be unfairly preferenced because they're talented in some way, they, they're wealthy, they're whatever. So that's one objection. The other is, and, and you alluded to it earlier, it's like fundamental to life to appreciate yeah. like how 
beautiful and good looking people are. And it's like to just take that away. And I think the story does kind of get at that. Like there, there's something so sad about the kids who were raised on it, trying to like guess which actors in a movie <laughs> right. were good looking. Right. They you were know? using like the heuristic that the lead actor must be the better looking one. Right. And it, exactly. that, that said something that I don't even know. I assume uh, Chang was saying it on purpose, but it, I don't even know. But it, it's it's that the desire for beauty still existed in these kids. Right. But they couldn't, yeah. like, they were, just, it was being denied to them. This is why yeah. the Tamara character was so upset that her parents did that to her. That's such a big part of, like, growing up is having some, you know, actress that you love and talking about <laughs> that and, you know, just being like, and... I, I suppose you might say that that would just get sort of filtered into, like, a, you know, like, let's take comedians, right? The mature person doesn't like a stand-up comedian because, you know, we, we like Stephen Wright's, well, maybe, but not because of what he looks like. Maybe that's what kids would do for actors. They would, like, actually appreciate them for their acting, and have yeah. posters of of good actors on their wall. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what character <laughs> actors are for. Right? John C. Riley posters. <laughs> <laughs> he don't you want to be moved by his beauty? But again, he has this talent. Like he's a great actor. Yeah. He's a hilarious um, and a like a good singer, even and just you know, like all again, a lot of these gifts are still gifts, and you're just stripping away one gift from people. It doesn't mean that we're going to all of a sudden be judging people according to their Kantian jewel-like will. Or to uh, their MLK content of their character. Um, yes, uh, right. Tamler's uh, anti-MLK, for the record. <laughs> just, yeah, just like a couple of days after Martin Luther King, yeah. no less. But um, the se- I do think that, like... You know, there. I guess the idea would be that you're attracted to them because of their personality and also like how good a match they would be for you. That's right? yeah, right. And we'll let when we switch to the paper. We talking about a match will be critical. Um, but you know, I I think to be charitable, the idea here would be that still in some domains and. Ted Chang says as much in his note. He says, you know, I think I, it would be worth giving this a try. Yeah. Um, the idea that maybe in an interview you could just focus on the qualifications for the job, for instance. If I'm hiring a programmer, I'd ask them questions about programming and they'd answer me. I don't give a shit whether they can control that or not. I'm sure they were born with these God-given talents to think mathematically and became a programmer, but I don't really care. What would suck, though, is if the better-looking programmer gets a job, uh, even though there was a better programmer and maybe... The idea is that people who look like John C. Riley find it harder to get jobs because people don't pay attention to their acting skills as much, um, whether or not those acting skills are, are inborn. So that's what I'm. That's what tempts me. You know, I think this is what is behind our impulse to not have pictures submitted on CVs or sometimes even try to be blind to the name of a, of a participant. Yeah, or, or to try – like it's behind peer review, like, yeah. like double-blind reviews. It's behind – so much stuff. Like I said, there's so much stuff that we do in job interviews that we didn't used to. And honestly, like a lot of it I was opposed to for reasons like this. Okay. You're eliminating one form of bias, but all these other forms of bias now have, are just going to get more emphasis. But I've also appreciated some of them too. Like, like the standardized interview questions actually leads to like, it might be an illusion, but a seeming fairer way of comparing how people responded to questions and stuff like that. And 
Yeah, the, yeah, I, I agree. You know, I just want to get back to something you said. You said you were fairly certain that something like beauty wouldn't influence your evaluations. I'm not so sure about myself. Yeah, I, I, and I just, also, I'm not really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it to, but but it it's it's hard. You know, you're not doing it consciously, and bias correction isn't easy, and it wraps itself up into a whole package of a holistic person where you don't think you're evaluating their looks. Right. Or their charm, or whatever, but you know. One of the th- the good things about Ted Chang's story is they talk about like how yeah. advertisers make use of this and how, yeah. um, and I'm sure this would happen. Like there's this organization called the People for Ethical Nanotechnology. <laughs> They're coming out staunchly against Cali and um, giving talks on campus to try to persuade people not to do it. And it really is just backed by these cosmetic companies that are going to lose a lot of money. And you know that would happen, too. Oh, so, so depressing. that you I know love that. that cynicism in the story about, like, these fake grassroots campaigns and these, like, paid students to, like, pretend yeah. that they were opposed. What do you think of the second idea, though, that there's just certain fundamental aspects of life that you can't fuck with, unfair as they are? And, I, and so, like, I have two kind of, like, the strong version of this just says... Yeah, it's unfair that some people are better looking and some people aren't, but that's just life. And life is unfair in a lot of different ways. That's part of what makes it rich. That's part of what's uh, actually in some ways, like, you know, if you're a John C. Riley and you're not, you don't look like Brad Pitt, um, you're going to have challenges, but then you overcome them through other means. And that's just, that's just life. Um, and you have to accept that and not fuck with that because you're fucking with something kind of sacred. You're fucking with something that's too fundamental to our humanity. Now, you, you can make that argument all the while knowing that people have, I'm sure, made that kind of argument for like a defense of slavery or some other like yeah. horrible thing that just seemed like a fact of life to them um, as they grew up. Well, of course, some people have slaves and some people are slaves. That's just life. Yeah. I'm, I think, more on the side of let's fuck with some things and see if they can improve because just the downside of a lot of these biases are so bad. And the truth is I've been so fortunate in not having a lot of things against me, go against me in terms of those biases. So have you seen this, uh, these recent, I think I even sent you one, these sort of recent studies, I haven't evaluated them to see how good they are, that masks have caused people to get tipped more evenly, right? So like good people don't get tipped more. Um, good looking people don't get tipped more. Yeah. Like now, now it's more just evenly distributed. Because I, I of masks, haven't. yeah, yeah, and I've, and p- that people sort of are getting people who are unattractive aren't getting the downsides. Like people are actually, it's hard to judge attractiveness when a mask is on. So people use eyes, and it turns out that people's eyes just tend to be, on average, better. Like it's like a a nice feature of people's face. Like mouths and noses are the ugly parts, and so people are getting treated differently for it. And and I think to myself, I don't know how much damage is doing to any individual but like like everything it would be a trade-off it would be all right this is like a, an aspect that i really enjoy but if people are being slaves because of it i don't want it and and everything in between to me has to be sort of taken as as a judgment of what would what would morally improve life and like enrich that part of our lives rather than uh just sort of justify it because it's part of our our human nature yeah 
there's one thing you said that I actually wanted to address that I do fundamentally agree with, which is it's always been weird to me that people refer to beauty and appearance as uh, shallow and surface and they refer to personality as something deeper and more fundamental about somebody. And I'm totally with you, and this is a big problem I have with the D'Alessandro article that focuses on the morality of partner preference, like whether you should pick a romantic partner based on appearance. That shit isn't under your control either. If it were, introverts would probably choose to be extroverts, you know, and get a lot of benefit from it. But they can't. So so that that part is, like, why, why is a personality deeper than... A face. Than a face, yeah. yeah. You know the story Harrison Bergeron by Kurt Vonnegut? I think it's come up before. It's, yeah, it sounds familiar. I don't think I've read it either way. So I feel like that takes this idea to its logical conclusion. So in that story, they don't just uh, equalize for looks because then... Oh, yes, I have read it. They, 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 they yes. rightly know that then yeah. all of a sudden there's going to be people who are... Uh, you know, all of a sudden, like, really good ballet dancers are going to be favored because of their talent at ballet. So they do mask how you look in all sorts of ways, like, equal, make people ugly who are beautiful, make people... But they also, like, weigh, like, athletes down, <laughs> yeah. you know, and they, they really try to equalize everything. And that yeah. just seems like if you don't go the Harrison Bergeron route anytime somebody has an unfair advantage you you equalize it then i i kind of wonder and i wonder if this is something like you could actually figure out or calculate in some way um i kind of doubt it but like is this ultimately more fair and the in one way it might be is if you were drawn to people you know, like, let's say for their looks heavily, but that that doesn't correlate well with how good a match you would be. And so now people are, are, are coming together, not because they're in the same looks class, um, as which is kind of how it usually is, but because there's something about their personalities that are a good fit for each other. That's like how large swaths of the internet work. You find people who share interests and you befriend them. You have no idea what they look like. And it yeah. seems like that's fine. You know, that's I, there, like there is a kind of, I think what you're saying is something I agree with, which is whenever you have diversity of any kind, it might be used to treat people unfairly. But you are left with taking it to its ultimate logical conclusion, you are left with a world in which every form of diversity gets eliminated in order that we don't like yeah. start using that other thing. So if, if, if we did everything except for what kind of pants people wore, people would start not, not in a biased way. They might just be like, Oh, I have those kind of pants too. And like talk to each other and not, it just would we go about our world choosing people to become friends with, to get into business with, to uh, whatever, co-teach a class with, to date. All of those things are based on what makes that person different from somebody else. <laughs> right. And so right. you, it's hard to like model. I think what you were getting at is could you model interaction in a way where you would like sort of eliminate all of this information that you get from these differences across people? Yeah. What would you have? Exactly. Like, is that even coherent in a yeah. way? Like, maybe if you had just a lottery that yeah. just uh, 
But then all of a sudden, like the thing itself, which is sexual attraction or just attraction in general, is all of a sudden it's it's not recognizable anymore. It's it just a weird. It's a very weird thing to say. Like suppose that you said, um, to like a real simple example, uh, it's unfair. Well, not even it's unfair. Let's not get there. Discriminating between the kind of tie based on the color of the tie and the pattern on that tie and the materials it's made of is something that we should eliminate. The only way to do that is to like make them all the same so that everybody has the same tie. And then you've lost something about why people buy ties. Like it's in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Then it's like, well, there's no point to buying a tie. Yeah. Um, On the other hand, there's, you know, like one of the things that kind of moved me in the story and just hit me is that at the school where Tamara went before Pemberton, um, where everybody had to have the uh, Cali technology, a lot of a lot of students with like face burns and other yeah. facial abnormalities and bone cancer and stuff like that, that they went to that school and for the first time in their lives were treated as like probably, you know, like normal human beings who have just as good a chance as anybody else of, of making friends and getting a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And that's quiet. There there is something kind of beautiful about that, you know, it is nice. And, and this is why it's such a, an interesting discussion because it pulls those moral intuitions that say, yeah, like we should do something about it. Just in the implementation process, it becomes just, difficult to see where like what exactly ought to be done like where where do you draw the line this episode of very bad wizards is sponsored by BetterHelp online therapy check out betterhelp.com slash vbw today BetterHelp is simply put just therapy so if you're having some issues in your life that you think it's about time you start dealing with, maybe it's depression, maybe it's grief, maybe you're just overwhelmed with stress like many of us are, you can go to BetterHelp and uh, match up with a therapist. You'll fill out a simple questionnaire and they'll have you paired with a therapist within 48 hours. I just want to say at this point, I've actually had a few people in my life sign up uh, via BetterHelp get assigned a therapist, and they've had great success. They've actually really enjoyed it. They've continued to see that same therapist. And for what it's worth, there are people whom I love in my life who have gotten a lot of value out of it. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. You don't have to do video. You don't have to see anybody on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. And like I said before, you can start communicating with a therapist in under 48 hours. So give it a try. Unload some of those stressors in life. Get some unbiased feedback. You'd be surprised at what you might gain from it. Just give it a shot. See if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. So very bad wizards as usual. Listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com VBW. Again, that's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash V-B-W. Our thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. So you were you brought up as an objection to the article this idea of, well, like you just can't control who you're going to be attracted to. Like I obviously think that's true and also 
in general, fine. One of like the cool things about life is that you just have certain people you're attracted to, certain people you're not, that maybe other people are. And But what he says is that it's true that you're not going to be able to do it entirely, but just like you can train yourself to um, eat good foods, healthy foods, even though you might want, uh, you know, to eat ice cream and fried chicken and German chocolate cake. Like you can sort of get yourself through, you know, just a series of steps and developing good, healthy eating habits. You could maybe start to get yourself to do that, or at least it's not clear why you could do that with, food tasting appreciation, but you couldn't do it with beauty tasting appreciation. Yeah. I call it, like, I think in my notes I wrote it like, you know, people are like kale. Like it's just like. <laughs> <laughs> well, kale is a good example. Like I'll eat kale now. I'll, I'll like it. You know, I had to yeah. give it a chance though. I didn't give it a chance at first. Yeah. So my, my problems with the article stem from the fact that it's narrowed it down, this question of, of lookism, of beauty bias, narrowed it down to the question of picking a romantic partner and whether or not it is immoral to, to select a romantic partner based on uh, their appearance. And he wants to argue no. And so he presents arguments why he says it's, un, it's unfair to people and that it harms people. And one of his arguments about unfairness is that really they have, people have no control over their looks. Yeah. And um, and I wanted to, to bring what you were saying before to this argument because here is where it really, really, I think, stood out that you can't control shit. If right. that's what you're hanging your argument on, I'm sorry, buddy, but it's uncontrollable all the way down, right? Like yeah. there are very few things that we can truly control about ourselves and so I don't see why picking based on intelligence or picking based on personality or picking based on sense of humor, charisma, why any of that is better than picking based on appearance. And, and, and I think that's a reductio for this argument. I think that, that he goes to sort of like weird, like if I were writing the article, I, I think it would become an obvious objection that we can't control any of these things. So him not talking about it seems like a- Not addressing it. Yeah, uh, yeah it seems like an odd omission- um, and that, that retort that he has to like, well, what about control on the other side? What I can't control who I'm attracted to. Well, just try just like whatever in an Aristotelian fashion, structure your life so that you'll be attracted to ugly people. seems just like <laughs> weak sauce to me. It's like, uh, uh, like I'm not, I'm not sure that's possible in the same way that I'm not sure it's possible to become more funny. Like I, I don't. I don't know how much control you have over what you're attracted to. Well, okay. Let me uh, play a devil's advocate here yeah. and like uh, speak on behalf of maybe some Sam Harris listeners <laughs> and say, wait a minute. You just said we don't have control of anything and so you can't make those kinds of distinctions. I thought you were a compatibilist. I thought you thought we can have control over certain things, especially if they're tied to choice and reason. And you don't control how big your nose is or how, how hot your ass is or uh, how big your dick is or whatever it is that people how like symmetrical your face is, how like. If like, you can't control how big your dick is, I've been spending a lot of money <laughs> wastefully, <laughs> wasting <true>. a lot. <laughs> I'm sorry to break it to you. <laughs> 
but I saw before and after pictures. <laughs> it said. <laughs> um, but no, like, isn't the compatibilist position that you can, like, distinguish between, um, like, how big your dick is versus how how good a person you are or how, you know, reasonable your beliefs are or how moral you are? And if if that's true then why wouldn't it be better to judge people based on those things rather than dick size? Yeah. So I think that, that that's good. And I think that, that one, it would help if he said that, if, if yeah. he, you know, maybe this is neither the time nor place, but again, it seems like a glaring omission to say um, that some of these things, it, that it's more, it, yeah. It struck it takes- me as as building on the intuition that it's wrong to be racist. Therefore, it must be wrong to judge uh, to to want to date somebody based on on their appearance. And and there was no thought into why um, control right. is so central. Then why wouldn't it be wrong to like people based on how funny they are, or yeah. how charismatic they are, or right. how you know? Uh, how, and, how extroverted they are. Yeah, you know, and the, like, and then we could have we could have discussions about how much control people do have over those things, and it might be that people have more control over the, their moral character, right, than they do over how anxious they are. Um, mm-hmm. But here's what it comes down to for me: like, the, it's the fact that it's that he's trying to make a moral claim about who you ought or ought not be attracted to. That, in my mind doesn't even get off the ground because I actually don't think that it's immoral to have any preferences, whether people can control them or not for a romantic partner. And I think we can distinguish this choice from things like people being qualified for jobs and being evaluated on things that, that have nothing to do with that job or people getting access to, you know, healthcare because of their race, like all of that stuff. There's a ton of stuff where it deeply matters that you that you not be biased. But when it comes to partner preference, I don't think that it's immoral to pick whomever you want just out of the most arbitrary reasons. And he gives the example that he's trying to fight, uh, he's trying to use to pull our intuitions that this is wrong. He says, you know, white supremacist who will only date white women, <clears throat> that's wrong. And I feel like, that's wrong because he's a white supremacist. It's not wrong because he's attracted to white women, right? In fact, a white supremacist who is actually attracted to only black women, but because of his principled beliefs that 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 black people are inferior, chooses white women, that would be wrong. But I can't get behind the view that I owe anybody anything when I'm picking them for uh, as a romantic partner. I, I can't get behind... If you like Asian people then cool. If you like amputees, cool. If you like Jews, like, if you like Jews, if you have even a fetish, Jews? Even you, Jews. that's how fetish? serious I am about this, <laughs> <laughs> about my argument here. Um, if you try to start picking a romantic partner is the ultimate social discrimination task. We will base it on a lot of stuff that for sure they don't have control over, some stuff that they have a little bit of control over, but I find it hard to make a moral judgment against the person who's making the choice. All right. I agree. Um, Again, let me try to play a little devil's advocate by saying, well, you know, that's an easy position to have if you're a reasonably good looking person. If your looks are not an obstacle to you having 
partners, right? Yeah. And just like with, uh, you know, somebody might say about race, like, look, I, I think racial equality is, is fine, but I think everyone has the right to hire, like, whatever race of people that they want for their job. Or it's, it's hard to draw this fine line. You know, like, like, remember the, should the baker have to, have to cook a cake for a gay wedding, for yeah. a same-sex wedding um, or not. Like all these things kind of bleed into each other. And and maybe, you know, as someone who, you know, where looks haven't been an obstacle for you. Yeah, of course you think looks should be like this sacred, inviolable domain where you can just be <laughs> attracted to who you want because that doesn't affect you like it affects some people. Uh, Fair enough, but it's not. But I'm not saying this for just looks. I'm saying this for nearly any feature of a person that makes them different. Um, but it's that I think that there is a strong line that we can draw between access to the kinds of things that people ought to have access to, that they have a right to have access to, like uh, the the right to get a job if they're qualified or not be mistreated, be allowed into a restaurant, no matter what race they are. All of those things are deeply important. And if you're a racist and you only date white people because you're racist, you're wrong for being a racist. I just think that it's such a unique decision to choose somebody to be partnered with that arbitrary decisions in this domain that aren't affecting the class of people or a group of people or they're not being made into law or they're not being, you know, in a Kantian way, universalized. Uh, if I like someone who has dirty nails... Fuck it. Who like who could judge me for liking somebody just because their nails are dirty? It seems like a, a a misapplication of a basic intuition about equality once you move into this domain. Yeah, I just like, and I'm, it's it's very weird that you're making that argument. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I expect the email, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a blurry line where you draw the line. Like you know, like who you're attracted to is completely up to you, but like who you choose to have as a colleague isn't. Again, I agree with you. I just think it's a little blurry in terms of how sharp you can make the distinction because a lot of the same arguments, this is what the article that D'Alessandro really leans on, is a lot of the same arguments that you're making people make to justify racism or to justify sexism or to justify, you know, all sorts of prejudice that are, you know, that we now think is is wrong. So, but, yeah, but I, I, I mean, don't think, yeah, I like yeah. just to double down, I don't think my line is being drawn, like there's no blur there. I'm saying literally the, the uh, romantic partner preference is the only one in which we have free, free reign. Because it's because it really is just affecting you and your happiness with this person. Having said that, I really do think that um, D'Alessandro, it would have been nice to try to present some data arguing that people who are unattractive don't get into romantic relationships at the same rate, because I kind of think that's not true. I thought he did. No, he made he he presented data about people. lookism in general which i do think is is a bad thing which is that like people who are good looking um get favored in all sorts of ways but he didn't present relationship data and i think that but you don't doubt that i do i think that i think that what we find is uh in the marketplace of romantic coupling is that people 
end up being with people who are at similar attractiveness levels. Right. And there are plenty of people at every level of attractiveness. So, so I think good-looking people so get favored. So separate in, but equal. That's what, you, that's what you're <laughs> arguing for. Let me tell an anecdote. I have a good friend <laughs> whose name I won't mention, but this cracked me up. Um, I, she's a, a good-looking uh, young woman, and I met her at work. And she oh, introduced me now. to her. Yeah, yeah now it's my so, dog. Sorry. Yeah. Shut the, Ozzie, shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> she introduced me to her ex-boyfriend, who when I met was this charming French guy who was super good looking, just like he had it all. Like, you know, if I didn't like him so much, I'd be mad at him. And I, I remember asking her where she met him. And she's, she's like, it's kind of embarrassing. And I was like, why? She's like, it was online. I was like, everybody meets people online. She's like, no, it was an online dating site for attractive people. So you literally... <laughs> Had to yeah. submit a photo, and if you were attractive enough, you got to be part of the pool. And I was like, "Does your fiance know that your ex boyfriend?" <laughs> That's just all that is doing is kind of establishing a company for what you're arguing for, right? But know? if there were, yeah, if there were um, websites where it's terrible to say, but like less attractive people, like say, if you could rank people, people in the middle of the pile could find people in the middle of the pile to date people in the bottom of the pile, find people at the bottom of the pile. I would say that's great. But it's not equal and it's not separate, but equal, the kind of uh, idea that you are touting because the people who are in the lower attractive tiers would definitely date the people in the upper attractiveness <laughs> tiers, right? But the same isn't true the other way. So like uh, there isn't equality of opportunity. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. You know, maybe they they want to stick to their own. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe right. I mean, here's every, a here's everyone's a, like, what's the deal with that? <laughs> <laughs> do you, we've talked about this before, but do you think um, that there is that it is immoral to prefer certain races in your pornography viewing habits? <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, like you gotta like something. And, I agree. And yeah. if that something happens to be coextensive with a social group that is already, you know, treated too well, then maybe you can reconsider. But it wouldn't be by dint of just you being attracted to that group. It would be by dint of that group already getting so much good for all sorts of other reasons. Like it's right. It's uh, and now they also get you jerking off to them. <laughs> like <laughs> who wouldn't want that? <laughs> Look, I'm on your side on this. I'm just trying to. You were expecting. I love this. This flipping uh, of the, yeah, the, the flipping of the script. Yeah, for sure. Again, like here's where um, I'll go back to being me in terms of just my general philosophical attitude. There's something about this argument and this whole debate that strikes me that it, you know as similar to like, is it fair to love your children more than you love other people's right. children or something like that? It's like, that's just the wrong question to ask. Like there's just certain givens with being human. Like I'm with you that fundamentally like sexual attraction and the very variability with how that works and the particularity of your own preferences just yeah. is one of those just central things to life and no it's not fair because ultimately nothing is really fair in this life 
Uh, and some people get lucky and they get a good roll of the dice and, and some people don't. And, you know, maybe if you're a compatibilist, like there's, you can play your cards in better or worse ways. And maybe that's, you know, not all, even that doesn't ultimately come down to luck, but, but ultimately like this is, there is a kind of richness and messiness and just like, I don't know, just a fundamental part of being human that you can't fuck with like that. And, you know, and that's why I think like, you know, loving your kids is in that category. And I think just being attracted to who you're attracted to is also in that category. It is. And, and I don't think it's a, such a hard line to draw where you would say, I mean, look, we do this all the time in a way that until maybe recently hasn't been morally problematic, but I'm only attracted to women sexually. Like I would only want to date a woman. God knows, like I wouldn't mind being bisexual or gay. Like I kind of think it might be fun. It's just that I'm not, right? And so to tell me that it's immoral to prefer women over men strikes me as like a misunderstanding of what's going on in my in my mind about what meeting a partner that I'm attracted to is all about. Yeah. There's there's a section because I want to do him I, I want to do Dalessandro justice. I'm trying to find the section because um I don't want to misconstrue his argument, but he says something along the lines of a, a lot of other things like, say, uh, getting a job, right? The right to be looked at equally, whether you're white or black when it comes to that's a right. People would consider that a right, a fundamental right. He says, don't get me wrong. I'm not arguing that everybody has a right to be chosen as a partner, but what he is saying, he says, is something softer, he thinks is softer, that people, everybody deserves to be in a romantic relationship. And so the unfairness is coming in by not allowing unattractive people to be in romantic relationships. You are fucking with some, a fundamental dessert that they have to, to be in one. It all hinges on whether or not, I think, the quality of the argument that you're making that people do have a right or deserve to be in a romantic relationship. And I yeah. just don't think so. Otherwise you're treading on some insally territory that I'm not comfortable with. Like you might not get chosen and that's fine. Yeah. Like I, I, I agree. I think this is not the strongest for, <laughs> <laughs> for a bunch of reasons, but um, I think the problem is, is that he is trying to come up with some sort of reason why it's unfair that attractive people yeah. are, that people have more of a bias towards being in a relationship with attractive people than unattractive people. And and so he, he tries to cash that out in terms of dessert. I don't think he needs that. I think, you know, we can get on board with the intuition that there is something a little unfair about the fact that like Brad Pitt is going to have a lot more access to be in relationships than, uh, I don't know, Right. Uh, Stavi from Cumtown, probably. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> no offense to him. I, I like. He's I don't know who that very is. funny. But you know, like this gets to the like you know, Wilt Chamberlain will get a lot more MBA contracts. Right, but like that's. But I think like you know, to the extent that you're not a hardcore libertarian, um, you think that maybe some of their their it's okay to have some kind of re redistribu redistribution or something like that, or at the very least that yeah, people should have op you know equality of opportunity. I don't know what that means in terms <laughs> of this. You know, p part of my resistance, I think, also comes down to some things that I, I believe, at least, to be psychological 
psychological features, which is that I don't think, like the, the kale analogy is a huge step of the argument. And whether or not it is possible to say, become attracted to people who you yeah. think you ought to be attracted to, that is a big question mark. Um, and I agree. I, I just don't, I just don't think it's true. So, so you're, you're, if odd implies can, there's a very big constraint on this. And I yeah, also, that would yeah. be an interesting question. Let's say that there are certain races. Let's say you're not attracted to Hispanic uh, women, Hispanic women. And then you just kind of forced yourself at first to only watch like Hispanic, uh, like Latina porn for, right. for six months straight. And yeah. only that, do you think you might become more attracted to Latina women? Like it seems it's interesting. I'm, a, I'm taking that question seriously. It seems as if, in fact, I've, actually morally mistreated Latina women by yeah. like just selecting them on the category of the race and trying to use them to like morally better myself. It seems kind <laughs> of unfair. Like, and let's say porn wasn't part of it. Let's say I didn't have porn. Let's say I only wanted to. So, so I like go to more Latin get together groups and, and, you know, try to talk to more Latinas. And, and at some point, one of them asks me, you didn't used to come here before. And I say, well, I'm trying to get more attracted to Latinas because <laughs> so I'm exposing myself. That seems, it seems weird to me. It seems, it seems odd. Um, Again, my philosopher, like devil's advocate hat for, which has been absent for so long <laughs> is coming back. But like people might say that again about like affirmative action. It's like, you know, it would be insulting to, uh, try to hire somebody or prefer somebody just because they were black or a woman or yeah. uh, from a marginalized category. And if I went up to them and I told them, oh, by the way, like that yeah. would be wrong. That doesn't mean it's it's not good to try to increase the diversity of your faculty or your yeah. company. My, right? my argument, you're right. My argument really, really hinges on romantic attraction being a, a separable thing it's, one that we can yeah. we can uh, remove from all of the other sort of injustices because all of those other things i do think are deep injustices and we should do things like expose ourselves to others there's just something weird about like is a guy is a white guy who loves asian chicks less racist like i think what we want to know is whether they're racist right yeah. what we want to know is do you like asian chicks because you somehow have this negative stereotype about the kind of person they would be in, in a relationship or is it just that you've overcome your bias toward white people like those questions matter not really who you're attracted to it matters like you know the white supremacist like i said before the white supremacist who picks white people they're bad because they're white supremacists not because they picked a white person and I, I you know the attraction thing is interesting because you said this earlier but it's the same is true for me like you could show me as much gay porn <laughs> as right. you wanted in like fact, i'm not going to be gay <laughs> like like i just like it's just it, it does seem like it is not in your control in a way that certain other things are yeah yeah, yeah. And I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Um, and I, I certainly am willing to be corrected on this. And we haven't talked about ableism and fat, fatism. And there's some interesting things there to be discussed. Um, but I don't know how different the conversation would go. Yeah. But I did want to say, as we wrap up, maybe, yeah. um, how much I appreciate Ted Chang's uh, 
the thought that he puts into this format of a story where I really felt like I was saying before, like he was carrying me through these intuitions and arguments um, yep. in the format of these mock interviews where I gave it a lot of thought and I wasn't sure what the right thing to do and what, and what the wrong thing to do was. And, and again, in this extended case of society and lookism, I kind of felt in the end, kind of like Ted Chang felt like, well, I would give it a try. Like, let's see, let's see if it were as opposed to the format of, of a, a dry philosophy article. <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe, you know, it's not, that's not to be, you know, the Dallas Ender article, as you said, was clearly written and, and argued and all that. It's just that you can, uh, in the hands of somebody like Ted Chang, putting ideas into somebody's head and having them play with them is such goes such yeah. it's a such more smooth. Uh, I love this form yeah. of like a story. Like I think it's such a brilliant idea. I haven't really seen. I wish someone uh, filmed it. It would yeah. be a cool film project. Yeah, but you know, as as someone as a, like a writer, I think I would like to write in mm-hmm. this form. You know, like yeah, but I agree because you get all these different perspectives, and this is again something that you couldn't have in a philosophy article just by because of the genre of it. But like, I, I love this Lori Harbor, who is a student at another college, and she says, "Cali is for wusses." My attitude is fight back, go radical, <laughs> yeah. ugly. That's what beautiful people need to see. I got my nose taken off about this time last year. Uh, and like, she just goes around freaking people out yeah. by being radically ugly. And just like, that's a great thing that you can do in a story is just give all the different kinds of reactions that people might have to this right. kind of technology. And uh, and we haven't even talked about Tamara's Final. Maybe we right. should conclude with that yeah. because maybe she's like you in the sense that she started out being radically opposed, really angry at her parents for making her do it. And I think legitimately and very excited to have it off and to realize, oh, my God, I'm actually kind of pretty. <laughs> and it didn't. Interestingly, she had this boyfriend from high school that who wasn't it turns out she finds out she learns that attractive, but it didn't affect how she thought of him. And so she kind of convinces him to take, to get his Cali removed and they start talking and, you know. Because she wants to get back together with him and she knows that once he takes it off, it would be like this reveal that like, shit, my girlfriend's hot. Yeah, exactly. And then she's thinks, and and meanwhile, he's going through, he's realizing for the first time, oh, I'm not that good looking. And like, he's feeling a little isolated um, wherever he's going to school. And so she thinks maybe I'll go to his place and then it'll help him that she, she, he's with a good looking girl. Right. And she goes and she's very honest, like even though, you know, there is a, a vanity to her, yeah. kind of understandably, but um, she's very honest with herself. And she starts to realize that she's trying, she's now using her looks, her pr- prettiness mm-hmm. to try to get him back in a way that even she finds objectionable. Right. And it, so in, yeah. the, in the same way that advertisers yeah. were manipulating other people, she was like using this power. Yeah. And so she tentatively decides to put the Cali back on by the end of the story. But the advertiser link is really interesting. And it's, again, one thing that Chang deals with that if there's anything compelling about this, it's also just all these other ways that people's looks can influence our behavior. And then just as like a self-defense mechanism to have this technology, I'm a little skeptical that it means as much 
as Chang seems to suggest in some of these, that it that it has that much of an influence. But I guess You're I would about be the Cal- if I was the Cali blind. stuff. No, oh, that the uh, like the looks mm-hmm. of somebody or um, affects uh, like how much you believe them or how much you want to. The, uh, the yeah. end at the end when he talks about this new technology that alters digitally um, things like linguistic postural and and facial movements mm-hmm. and li- like linguistic whatever. Yeah, uh, and um, that yeah that, that turn the election right. Um, which is separable from just the facial beauty appearance, yeah. like uh, that that influenced, yeah, whether or not it was used to influence whether or not people voted in favor or against something. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 hard to know, right? Because I think yeah. what he's getting at is a charisma charm, right? Like a you can you yeah. can use it uh, to magnify people's charisma, and I think politicians are are put a lot of stalking the power of charismatic uh, leaders. So, so it would be interesting there. It's like, now you're getting to that in between where it's, it's like, well, if you've trained to speak in a persuasive way and to gesticulate in a way that people find comforting, you know, the way that they, they trained uh, Bill Clinton to put his fist on his palm, uh, like presumably because that communicated something good about his power, um, then maybe. Clearly like putting your thumb like up and when you're talking yeah. to people <laughs> has been shown to influence people because like politicians do yeah, that all the time. Yeah, it always that. looks so weird to me. Like, what the fuck are you doing with your thumb? Are you like hitchhiking? <laughs> I know. It's like they decided that somehow it's like, it's not pointing and it's not like, it's not too threatening and it's not too weak. It's just the right amount of like confidence, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, that's funny. <laughs> All right. Well, great story from Ted Chang. Is, yeah, it's nice to as get back usual, to fun. Chang. It's interesting that he is in favor of it. You know, it's like how, like, I think he has a certain ethical position that you can discern, but he's so good about presenting all sides Absol- of, a, that's of an exactly. idea that is, you know, I'm almost surprised that he does the notes at the end that sort yeah. of gives his, tells where he stands. Um, right. It's unclear whether you should read the notes like for agree. right after you read the story. Um, you might want to let it sit in before you read read the notes. I mean, I do. Like, I'm, I, I, know. like I, I don't have like the self control to stop myself from, but I totally agree. Yeah. I'm not sure it's a great idea to do that. Yeah. Uh, it's like director's commentaries on a DVD. I feel like you should be very familiar with the movie before you ever listen to one of those. Yeah, I like the Lynch attitude, which he's not going to tell you jack shit. <laughs> I Fuck do too. Me. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, All right. Do you think I'll get hate mail? For what? For being like, uh, like a... Only lookist. liking white women? For, lo- <laughs> <laughs> for being a lookist? Uh, well, we'll just have to wait and see. Maybe, you know. Join us next time if we're attractive enough for you. Join us next time on Very Bad Wizard.
very good man. Just a very bad wizard.